Um, we are in the pastoral letters again. We're carrying on our uh, series in the pastoral letters. And so if you, we've got two passages this morning. We've got 1 Timothy chapter 5, the first four chapters, and Titus 2, um, 1 to 14. Let me just pray for us before we begin this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you we found a friend as we were singing. Thank you. A friend, actually a friend's found us. Thank you that you reached into our lives. Thank you that you came to us. Thank you that we're yours. And uh, I want to pray that as we uh, hear, as we look at your word this morning, you would speak to us, change us, help us to uh, fix our gaze and attention on you even more, just as Gav was saying, and um, love you more in our lives and know what it is to follow you um, all our days. Amen. Okay. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 to 4. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older men as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. Okay, keep your finger in 1 Timothy 5. We're going to be going back and forth today and turn to Titus 2, 1 to 13. This is a little bit of a longer chapter, a passage. You, however must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, uh, sorry, addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech, so uh, that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed, because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them and not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait 
for the blessed hope, the glorious the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there. Oh, wow. What a couple of passages. Yeah? <laughs> Why have I been left with these ones and everyone else has gone away? But hey, we're going to see what these have got to say to us this morning. But isn't it amazing? Paul, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans. You've got this letter with all this, um, all this God-magnifying theology in it. He wrote the letter to the Colossians that declares that Jesus is supreme. It says this in Colossians, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. And he also wrote passages like today's. Passages that are just full of practical advice. Passages that are about everyday life. See, he wanted, um, these, he wanted these leaders and their churches to know that the grace of God helps them to live in such a way that this good news message of Jesus shines through. He wanted them to know that the grace of God helps them to live in such a way that it'll look different to the culture around them. See, think about it. These new Christian communities are forming in these places. Uh, And these are places where there's many temples to go and worship at, where there's already many so-called gods people are thinking, well, is this just another one? But Paul says, no, your lives will look different because you've encountered the living God. And through your lives will shine the gospel. Living with Jesus is not easy. And it's often challenging and uncomfortable, isn't it? It was for them back then. It is for us today. See, in our culture that says, it doesn't really matter how you live. In our culture that says, well, actually, just do, do what feels natural. In our culture that says, don't let others put boundaries around you. In our culture that says, actually, real freedom is doing away with all that. Following Jesus is a challenge to that. Here we go. This might help you. Can you put the, next sli- can you put the slide up, Hassan? Let's see, who under 16 can guess who this is? There's not many people left under 16. Under 18? Under 25? (laughs) You're not under 20. Are you under 25, Chris? Oh, you're 25. Johnny will know. Johnny, who is it? Alice Cooper, yes. It's Alice Cooper, the um, uh, famous American rock star from the 70s, 80s. Probably still now. Sorry, Shirley, is that you singing? Is that singing an Alice Cooper song? There we go. Alice Cooper, known for his wild lifestyle. 
known for his wild stage shows. But it's actually a guy who became a Christian later in his career. And he said something really, really profound. He said this. He said, drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's rebellion. And you know, he's right. He's right. Let me just take the picture away, because it might scare some people. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. How the grace of God helps us to live in such a way that this good news message of Jesus shines through. Okay, so where are some of the places that we can apply these passages today? Well, firstly, they can be applied in the church. When I worked for Stockton Council many years ago, um, occasionally there would be occasions where colleagues would come, come to a Sunday morning, perhaps a baby Thanksgiving or, um, a, um, or some other jubilee event, a Christmas thing. And one of the things that they would always mention was, do you know the, the people here seem to like each other? They hadn't come into contact with many um, church communities before. The, the people seem, more than that, people seem to be kind of like a family. Perhaps you've encountered that. If you've um, perhaps brought someone into um, your, a, a community group or into a church community. See, in the church, we're not called to be acquaintances. We're not called to be colleagues, but God's family together. So this is Ephesians chapter uh, 2, 19. It says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. We're members of his family. So, in our passage from 1 Timothy, Timothy's attitude to older men and women is to treat them as fathers and mothers. His attitude to younger men and women is to be as brothers and sisters. And so leaders, too, aren't not to have a different attitude to the people of God. And the church body isn't meant to elevate leaders so high that cuts them off from the church family. Actually, we're all family together. I get nervous when I see a church where it seems that the leaders have been elevated to so much of a point that I sometimes wonder if the church thinks they're the saviour and not Jesus. But also notice what Paul says and seems to add about how Timothy should treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. See, perhaps Paul knew some of the dangers here, some of the things to watch out for when people come together in close-knit community. Perhaps he knew that to say, you know, actually, this will never be a challenge for you was just unreal. When I was a young student, um, it was often this passage that was used um, when a leader would say something like, listen, do you flirt with women? 
to try and get your own way or to make you feel good in a way that treats them like an object and not a sister. Or they'd say, look, if you have a girlfriend, can you say that the sexual purity within your relationship is such that you treat her like your sister? You know, we get embarrassed and you know, it'd be uncomfortable, but do you know what? They were right. And they were right to talk about it. So whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're uh, married, unmarried, man, woman, keep that truth of the family of God so high that should temptation come to pursue unhealthy, unhelpful relationships with members of the opposite sex, our response is, do you know what? I'm going to pursue something better. I'm going to pursue something even more fulfilling. Actually, the call on me is to treat this person as my brother, as my sister. That's a greater call. It's a greater call. So we're also told that living a life of Jesus in the church will mean helping others to follow Jesus. A church leader um, asked one of the pastors in charge of spiritual growth programs at All Souls in London. What, what a great title that is, Pastor of Spiritual Growth Programs. Uh, um, in, in All Souls in London, um, how he knew if people were growing. This is, this is the church of the great John Stott, who was one of the great British preachers of the 20th century. The, one of the great Bible teachers this, ever, this nation has ever known. And what would this pastor say? How did he know if people were growing? Was it, well, their Bible knowledge is increasing? Is it, well, they're attending more meetings? Is it that um, they're having less problems in life? No, no, this was his answer. I know because it's if people are passing on what they've learned to others. So helping them to follow Jesus. How might we do that? Well, one of the ways the Bible tells us we do that is by the example we set. Titus is encouraged to be an example to others in the church by doing what is good. You may never teach at a devoted group meeting or in a community group or stand up and preach on a Sunday, but you may influence and lead many in the way you lead your life. You may influence people in how you speak with others, by how you encourage others, by how you handle your finances, by how you respond to difficulty. How the church needs godly men and women that will set an example to us all and to others. So we help others to follow Jesus by the example we set and we help others to follow Jesus by teaching, by what we say. See, the example here is that if Titus teaches the older women in the church, then they can teach the younger women. That's what it says, Titus 2, 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. 
Now, how do we apply that today? Particularly, as some commentators, some people who study the Bible, say that older women in this day may have been anyone 30 and over. I may get myself into trouble here. (laughs) I may be in trouble at home. (laughs) My my wife's 29, so she wouldn't wouldn't count them. But listen, I think there is a principle here for both men and women. And Paul is pretty blunt about it in the way that only he can. You who've been a Christian for longer, are you passing on some of the experience of following Jesus and positively influencing others so that the word of God spreads in this area? Or would you prefer to spend your time getting drunk and slagging off people? That's what he's saying. The family of God needs you. I will let you decide if you class yourselves as an older man or woman, but that's how it works best. If you've been a Christian for longer, look out for people who you can help get to know, um, people who haven't been Christians for longer. If you haven't been a Christian for a long time, look out for people who have been Christians for longer. Get to know them. Find out about how they follow Jesus. Okay, so... We can apply this in the home as well. The gospel message will affect our home life. So it says, the young women should be trained to love their husbands and children. So this is the bedrock of Christian family, love. Paul's saying, look, this may not be something important in your culture. In your culture, it may not be how families operate. But that's how it must work in the Christian life. Love, sacrificial love, love that puts others first, love that serves. Sometimes in the busyness of life, can't this just be pushed to the side so easily? But at the heart of all a family is and does, it's meant to be love. So I can only speak for British people here. But there often seems to be an attitude in our culture that says, do you know, it's okay to moan about your husband and wife. It's okay to moan about what a pain your children are. It's okay to moan about family life. Listen, we're called to live in a different way. Because the grace of God has come to us. Because salvation has come to us. I'm not saying pretend your marriage is perfect all the time. I'm not saying pretend your family is the model family all the time. I'm not saying pretend, if you're a young person here, pretend your parents are perfect all the time. It's okay to let off steam sometimes and say, this is tough. This is tough. But decide in your heart, this is the family the Lord, in his wisdom and love, has given to me. Therefore, I'm going to choose to keep loving them. I'm going to choose to keep speaking well of them to others. 
Okay, and if I haven't got in enough trouble already about older women, let me touch on marriage very quickly. Because um, there may have been some phrases, as we read through that passage in Titus, that caused red flags to go up for you, that caused alarm bells to ring off for you. It says this, the young women are called to be subject to their husbands. This has been distorted in all sorts of ways. Whether that has been husbands using it to act as dictators, whether it's been used as wives thinking they have to stay in abusive relationships, or whether it's been used as men thinking they are somehow better or more godly than women. They're distortions. So what do we say about this? Well, John Hosier, who was here just a couple of weeks ago, can anyone remember back as far as two weeks ago? Yep. John Hosier, who was here, points out that when Paul talks about the husband and wife roles in Ephesians chapter 5, he starts it all off by saying this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, submission can sound like a negative word, can't it? But actually, its its proper meaning is seeking the best for the functioning and the health of the relationship. So both the husband and the wife submit to one another for that. So in that sense, there's meant to be mutual submission in marriage. But mutual submission needs leadership, else it goes nowhere which in Ephesians 5 appears to be given to the husband, to lead. And this marriage relationship is meant to reflect Christ and the church. And so as Jody always reminds me, you've got it harder, Simon, because you need to love me as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You've got it harder. No, I think it's equally as hard, actually. Um, But I know what she's saying. Listen, here in Titus, the message Paul is getting across, that there may be some in your culture that don't value marriage, that don't think it's important, that don't seek the best for their spouse. But in this new Christian community, it's meant to be different. It's meant to be Christ-centred. There may be people in your society who couldn't care less about their husbands. There may be some men in your society that couldn't care less about their wives. But in this Christian community saying, it's Christ-centred. Okay. Shall I get myself into more trouble? Yeah, is that okay? We're getting a bit, everyone getting a bit cold. Just kind of... Just, uh, yeah, warm up a bit. Don't worry, I don't, I don't mind. A bit of movement, that's fine talking on the spot may put me off but there we go right okay instructions it instructs wives to be busy at home listen this is not a command for wives not to have jobs outside of the home some say it is it is better translated home lovers that's a better way to understand what Paul's getting at It's an encouragement that loving your husband, loving your children, 
means not neglecting them, but loving them. And that will be a practical, caring love. It's not, a, it's not an excuse that for men not having to do any chores around the house because they think women have to do it. <laughs> it will mean you love to be where they are because they're there. It'll mean loving where they are. It'll mean living life with them. That's what he's trying to say. See, what all this is reminding us is that God, if you're married, God cares for your marriage. If you have a family, God cares about your family. If you've got a mum or a dad, God cares about your parents. Is it tough right now? Listen, no that God cares. Are you married to someone who's not a Christian? Keep loving for them. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them because God cares. Are your children not following Jesus? Keep loving them. Keep praying for them because God cares. (coughs) And finally, how we live in the workplace. So, this passage says the gospel will affect our lives outside the church, outside our families, and one of the places it will affect is the workplace. It says this, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, to not talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Okay, we're going to need to do some background work here. Because we have to be careful, because some people will say, well, look, there you go. The Bible tells us that transatlantic slave trade was okay. That modern-day slavery is okay. No, no, it's not saying that. Firstly, first-century slavery was a very different type of thing to those two that I've just described. It wasn't permanent, It wasn't based on race. Actually, in in some settings, slaves had rights. Slaves could own property. Slaves could have other slaves. Um, They could take their masters to court in some situations. So I'm not saying it's a good system. I'm just saying it's a very different one to the others that I've described. Secondly, this part of the letter to Titus is to help him to care for the church. And it's a church that will have included slaves. So he's, he's not saying this is what God thinks of the whole slavery system. In fact, he's not addressing it at all. There's plenty of other places in the Bible that talks about, that can be applied to that. It's just that this isn't one of them. That's not the point of the passage. Here, he's saying, listen, if you're a slave, how's your faith going to affect how you live tomorrow? How is your faith going to affect how you live next week? See, the gospel helps slaves to live in a different way. It helps them live in a difficult workplace. And it can do that for us too. To be honest, to help us to be dependable, respectful, to be pleasing to our bosses. You know, I think this can apply if you're in college or university or school. I think actually this can apply too there. 
What happens when we do? What happens when our character is changed like this and we act like this in our workplace? The whole place is changed. People drop to their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? It's transformed. Well, maybe, but in most instances, probably not that dramatic. But actually, gradually changes take place. And it's more likely that your small acts of obedience are like seeds planted in your workplace, planted in hearts, planted in the ground. Listen, don't underestimate the effect of small acts of obedience in your school, college, workplace. So, there we go how we live in the church, in the home, in the workplace. But why? What's the reason for all this? Is it so that we can have more fulfilling lives? Well, actually, no, no, it tells us. It points to it. What the point is in Titus 2.10. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. It's not saying that Christianity is unattractive and we somehow make it attractive by the way we live, it's like this. It's, and I've used this example before. It's like having, a, uh, uh, if, you, if you're a lady and you've got a ring with a stone in it, have a quick look. It's like, it's like the setting that a precious stone or a diamond is in. It's there to give attention and to draw attention to the stone. It's meant to draw your eye to the stone. It's actually the same word used in Revelation where it kind of conjures up this imagery of the bride and the groom. And it says the bride's beautifully dressed in all sorts of things to show off her beauty. See, when you see a bride, you 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 do say things like, well, that's a lovely dress, or uh, that's nice shoes, or her makeup's done well. But actually, all that is to point to her it's to say, isn't she beautiful? Isn't it? Isn't she beautiful? I've come, I've, come to, I've come to this wedding for her, especially the groom. I've come for her. Listen, every illustration isn't perfect, but do you get the idea? Like the setting around a diamond or a stone, or like the dressing of a bride, how we live in our lives is meant to point and highlight the good news of God our Saviour. This good news that the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. How's it appeared? In and through Jesus. Through his life, his death, his resurrection. That we can come to know, we can come to have a relationship with God through him. We can come to have eternity with him. We can come to have the kind of life that he's called us to. Do you see it? It's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live the life he's called us to. It's grace that says, because you're accepted, because you're loved, now you're freed and empowered to live like that. See, grace is the motivation for all we do. If grace isn't the motivation for how we live in the church, in our families, in the workplace means very little.
but when it's motivated by the grace of God that has come into our lives, it points to the good news of Jesus Christ. So this good news is being declared as you live your lives out, as we live our lives out, side of this dining hall. As people see you and say, I think there's something different about their life. What is it? I think I noticed something different. Is it that they're just trying to earn enough points to make God love them? And we can say, no, no, it's because, because I'm rescued already. It's because God's loved me already. Listen, perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning. The message is not, try a bit harder. The message is not, live like it's explained in this passage, and then God will love you. The message is come and receive grace. Come and receive salvation in Jesus. He loves you and wants to know you. It's grace. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and you think, do you know, I hear all this, but do you know, I've messed up. I've messed up in my life. You may be saying, I've messed up in one of these areas you've talked about today. But do you know what? Grace says, you have not blown it. Grace says your mess will never outweigh his kindness, his goodness, his ability to pick you up, to dust you off, to restore you, and for him to say, come on, let's go again. We're going to break bread and wine. Uh, We're going to take bread this morning, and we're going to take wine to remember who Jesus is what he has done for us. And to rejoice that the grace of God has appeared, which offers salvation. We're going to take bread and wine to remember that we've received salvation from him. We're going to do that together after we've sung a worship song. But there's an amazing thing that as we take this bread and wine, it is more than just a remembering It is a powerful act where, in some amazing way, Jesus is with us as we do it. And so, maybe you need to um, take this bread and this wine and just say, Lord, I want to receive fresh grace this morning for how you've called me to live. I want to see fresh grace for my family life. I want to receive fresh grace for my work situation. I want to see fresh grace for my life in this church community. Let's pray. We're going to worship. We're going to take our offering. And then we're going to break bread and take wine together. If you've got something you want to put in for our prayer week collection, you're more than welcome to do that. But let me pray for us, and then we'll do that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, the grace of God has appeared to us. Thank you that in Christ we see God's message of salvation, his message of love, his message of rescue to us, his message of hope to us. And so we say thank you. We say thank you that you have restored us, picked us up, made us part of your family, 
and that now we live for you. And I pray, help us, send your spirit to help us to live in these areas, not out of legalism, but in grace, declaring that you are king. Let's stand together. We're going to worship, take our offering, and then we're going to break bread and take wine together.